And when they work at storage scholars, they have such a breadth of actually what they did. They went from they're calling the customers, they're actually meeting the customers, they're executing tons of marketing strategies, they're actually learning sales experience directly from us. I mean, it's, it's full-scale entrepreneurship. This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by MindSize. If you're looking for WooCommerce support, check out MindSize.com for all of your WordPress or monthly WordPress maintenance needs. I know I've said this again, I'll say it a million times because it's the last episode of the year and uh, the support from MindSize is coming to an end this year. A fantastic sponsor throughout 2021. What I love about MindSize and their model is that they focus on WooCommerce. They focus on important areas, not just for the end user uh, of WordPress, but if you're a small boutique agency, a freelancer, and there are parts of the business, you're just like, hey, I don't want to do the support thing. I don't know how to optimize these sites. Partner up with MindSize. Send your customer to MindSize for that monthly maintenance, that optimization, especially if it's a high-powered WooCommerce store you don't want to mess around. Thank you, MindSize, for supporting the show. Check out MindSize.com for all of your WooCommerce support needs. I typically open up my monologues with setting some tension or to attempt to provoke how a grand idea might come together in the upcoming audio. I don't have that today. What I have is a young entrepreneur that impressed me with his story, branding, and how he's approached the business of, well, college movers. I know you normally tune in for the SaaS-powered wins or the WordPress unicorns, but trust me when I tell you Sam Chasen, founder of Storage Scholars, is bringing the heat. I'll admit his story was so good that I almost didn't believe him. I fully expected to decline the interview headed into our pre-interview meeting. Luckily, that wasn't the case, and now I'll be rooting for him on the sidelines, hoping he can turn this business into a massive success. And by the way, we do talk WordPress, WooCommerce, and the platforms he's tried in the past, so we're still getting our hands dirty here. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to buy me a virtual coffee in support, go to buymeacoffee.com slash mattreport. That's buymeacoffee.com slash mattreport, and show your support for the show. Okay, here's Sam Chasen. Scholars is a door-to-door um, white glove service for college students. So basically the way that the service works, it's generally for out-of-state or international students. I was from New York. I went to a school called Wake Forest in North Carolina, and I had two international homemates, one from China, one from Ethiopia. And I would stereotypically see them bring over two large suitcases overseas. They'd buy the rest of the stuff that they needed at Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, etc. And there was just no way they were going to ship back their bedding or school supplies back to China, right? So I thought it had to be a better way type deal. So the way the service works now is students receive boxes and packing supplies a week before final exams. They pack up their stuff. They snap a couple photos of the items they're looking to store, add a, any extra insurance, lock up their room and go home. And then we generally have contracts with these universities. We get key access from the dorms. We use students on those campuses to do a contactless move out about uh, 24 to 72 hours after campus closes, store it for the summer, however long they need to store it for, and then have it ready and waiting in their new room pre-delivered when they arrive back on campus. So that's storage scholars in a nutshell. Yeah. When I first, before I, you and I chatted, I was like, okay, moving, like I say moving company. And in my, in my head, I'm like, big industry makes sense. But then when we chatted and you're like, yeah, but people don't need to bring all their stuff back. They're gone for whatever, a month, 45 days, a half semester, whatever the thing is, but they're not going to ship all the stuff back. Uh, And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. You mentioned that there were some competitors out there kind of doing this same thing. 
but just kind of half-assing it, right? They it was just a little bit of one thing and a little bit of the other, not the full the full complement. What are you doing better than the competition? Well, yeah, definitely shout out uh, Nick Huber, Sweaty Startup. He was uh, one of the first people I met doing this up at Cornell. That's kind of how I ended up on Twitter and probably met you as well. He, he sold a similar business up in the Northeast, so we we more so in the Southeast. We actually just recently signed a contract with the school in Pennsylvania a couple of days ago. So making an expansion there. Watch out, dorm removers. But a, a lot of it has to do with not only the university partnerships, so we're doing everything by the school's books. There's some others kind of companies out there that will just farm emails, blast to a school and just figure they can get 30, 40, 50 customers per school and say that they operate at 80, 100 institutions across the country. We're more about building deep in-depth relationships with those schools and not only with the administration, but then also really fostering entrepreneurship on these campuses and kind of hand-selecting two to three students, generally sophomores, they have some longevity and bring these kids on board, having them shadow us. They can learn really important like marketing, operations, entrepreneurial type skills in school and ideally pay their way, for, their way through college kind of the same way that I did. Yeah. So it's like, a, it's, I don't, I'll, these are my words. You tell me paid sure. internship. Is that how it kind of That's funny out? you say that. That's actually quote unquote what I just put on our handshake profile at some of these schools because it was not getting accepted before as more of like a, a high paying job. I figured not only is that what's more appealing to a college student nowadays. They want something for the resume, but also something they can make money at. But it's also kind of the way we were able to get in at these universities and getting on those job boards and those job postings. But but it's very valid too. So to my dedicated audience, uh, you might, what Sam just said is, is probably clicking to you why Sam is here. Generally, I'm interviewing somebody who has a digital product, a digital service, an agency, software as a service. Uh, we're going to get to that in a moment, but I really love the Again, people who listen to this know that I'm a huge proponent of entrepreneurship, but learning the nuts and bolts of it, rolling up the sleeves and getting to work, it's a fantastic model. So I applaud you for like having this platform for people to really figure things out. I don't want to say the hard way, <laughs> but like you're getting them a job, they're learning all of this stuff. Have you been able to measure that? I know it's kind of early days for you, but how have you measured the success of people actually learning the business side of things, even if they're not sticking with you for years? Has there any, is there anything like that that you have a feedback loop on yet? Yeah. I mean, myself, I and mean, the reason why I started this business was to pay my way through school. I did it more out of necessity. But my business partner, actually, he's a year younger than me. He's across the room over here. He's probably got his headphones in. But he was a biochemistry major coming to school, like 4.0 student, like probably could have gone to Stanford Med, but really got the itch, got the bug and working with and decided about halfway through his junior year to tell his whole family, hey, I'm putting my medical career on hold. I really want to actually make, not necessarily make a difference, be able to actually do things with my, with, do things with my time, like immediately as opposed to going to medical school or residency and not be able to actually have a career till 10, 12 years after school. So he was probably like the first one. And then as we went out and started hiring these co-founders, I mean, I had kids that were sophomores, juniors, seniors, and they graduated and they all wanted to, I had three of them wanted to then work full-time afterwards. One ended up doing that. He ended up running like a residential and commercial moving company that we had for a little while. Other ones have then worked for a little bit and then gone out and worked for companies like EY, JP Morgan. And, and truly, I think the biggest thing about this is a lot of times people will have things on their resume, and but they don't necessarily have the ability to talk about it. Like, hey, I worked at, I interned at EY Parthenon. That's amazing. But like, what did you actually do at EY Parthenon, right? And when they work at Storage Scholars, they have such a breadth of actually what they did. And they went from, they're calling the customers, they're actually meeting the customers, they're executing tons of marketing strategies, they're actually learning sales experience directly from us. I mean, it's, it's 
full-scale entrepreneurship. And we're taking all the tools that we've had found successful on campuses in the past, giving them that playbook, but then also giving them pretty much an unlimited budget to then do whatever they feel is best on their campus. And they feel really empowered. That's really where we found most of our success. That's awesome stuff. Uh, listener, you might hear some noise in the background. Sam is sitting in his common area of his apartment building. But I'm happy <laughs> to report, if you're watching the show on on YouTube, YouTube youtube.com slash uh, Report. Sam has a professional microphone in front of him, <laughs> thanks to thanks to me urging him to get one because he'll be doing a, a round of podcasts and he'll realize how good it is for his business on the marketing side. In our pre-interview, you mentioned, because I, I want to talk about the software side of it, and then we'll talk about more of like that marketing and branding stuff because I think your, your branding's on point and I want to learn a little bit more about how you got to that point and why you realize that's important. But yeah. in our pre-interview, you mentioned that your brother helped build some of the software side of the business. Uh, a lot of my listeners are into that, into the software side, how they're making things click. Is there a certain tech stack uh, that you can talk about that you're using to build the inner inner workings of the business? Or even the yeah. public-facing one? Are you using WordPress for the website? Stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll start with the part that I'm more knowledgeable on. But the the front end was, at one point, it was WooCommerce when it first, first started went to Squarespace and then actually I'm um, probably about 80% done with migrating over to um, Webflow. Sorry, <laughs> I escaped my mind for a second. So the, a lot of people is, just yelled at you for leaving WooCommerce and then now you're kind of, okay, he's going back to Webflow. So at least it's something that's powerful. Yeah. So more so from the aesthetic design aspect, we go into Webflow. I mean, we were kind of reaching our capabilities a lot more of like block text and block images on Squarespace. And I just wasn't able to kind of take it where I wanted to go in terms of the branding. But then the back end is it's gone through a, a ton of different iterations. A lot of it had to do with we had one business model and then you get key access from the universities, you go to a different business model. Then you have COVID and you have to start doing like shipping packages. And my, uh, if my brother's listening to this, he definitely was uh, a little frustrated. His, his, his answer was always yes. Yes, we could do that. But it, I don't think we really understood exactly what yes meant and all the work that went into that. And we have, I think, 287 custom fields for each associated account for different like yes, no formulas and stuff like that too. But it's it's basically built mostly on PHP, Angular 8, and MySQL 8 in terms of the kind of the front end, the database, and then AWS as well. So we're actually, he's stepping, he's coming more of like a CTO role and we're bringing in kind of like a development team. So we have two full-time developers as well as somebody that's kind of managing them as well. And they should be coming on board in the next couple of weeks. So it'll be the real test of all the feedback we've gotten is that he has really clean code. And I, I really hope that to be true. But, uh, <laughs> if we'll not, find out. brother's not getting anything for Christmas. Coming no, in. no, he's, uh, he's, an, he's an incredible mind. So I, I would assume <laughs> all, all of that stuff is. I, I want to talk about this software segment for a little bit here. When you left... WooCommerce, what were your reasons? You're not in an uncommon, a lot of people listening to this too, there's a segment who are agency owners, freelancers. They talk to a lot of folks who hop through different CMSs. They hear mm -hmm. a bunch of different things. You're not in an uncommon seat to be making these jumps, but what was it for you to leave WooCommerce to begin with? Yeah, you have to appreciate that I was 18 um, and I was better than my first ever website. And I, I just said to my brother at the time, because he was the only like technical person I knew, hey, like, what should we build a website on? He kind of helped me build the WooCommerce website to begin with. And then I had a friend that was working for kind of a different startup. It was more, it was a food and bath startup. So a little, a little more of a prettier interface. He's like, you got to use Squarespace. You got to start using Canva. And I'm like, this is mind blowing to me. I'm like, oh, I can actually just drag and drop and make this as opposed to relying on my brother to actually go in and, and design something where he was extremely technically 
um, sound, but aesthetically it was probably more of a secondary. So that was more so just the ability for me to do it myself. But I'm sure now, five, six years later, WooCommerce would, would have been more of a drag and drop. It just was a little more intimidating at the time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, is the software side without revealing the, the secret sauce, is that a secret <laughs> sauce for you over your competition? Like what technologies or how do you simplify this experience for your customers through the avenue of software? A hundred percent. It's definitely, there's no reason to fully reinvent the wheel. Storage and moving companies have existed obviously for decades. What we do, it's you can't buy some off the shelf software that's actually going to work for exactly what you're looking for. So we've definitely scoured the competition. We've built our own software. And then we've also kind of taken probably some of the 10, 5, 10% from these other companies that work for them and put it into our platform, of course, making kind of like a, a Franken business of, of storage scholars for the college students game. But I think a couple of the things are you market to the college students, but the real customers are kind of the parents. So that was the biggest lesson we learned in terms of making accounts that can give both parent and student access where the student come on, they can make the account. The parent then doesn't have to like contact the student to find out their login. The parent can pay. The student can edit the pickup, drop-off information. It's a whole open flow of information that in the past it would be that scenario would be that Jane Smith is a divorced mom and she made an account for her son, Johnny Maxwell. And the account would say Jane Smith, but it's actually for the son. And it's like, what is going on, right? right so be, right. being able to really be flawless in the flow of information. And then that way we actually know exactly who we're communicating to. And we can also communicate both to the students and parents and keep everybody in the loop. It's, it's probably the biggest differentiator. Is this all web, on the website or is there a mobile app that everybody has just instant access to? Yeah, it's a mobily optimized website right now. That's actually where we're stepping to as well is, is making an app. I think the initial instinct was... Why do we need an app? Who wants to download a, a storage app and have it on their phone at all times? But at the same time, there is definitely limitations with websites and being able to upload images quickly and just more so the speed of, of the site is what's holding us back right now from not necessarily a customer standpoint. That's a lot simpler, but more of a managerial standpoint because customer, they're uploading you know five images total where the managers are going in and potentially looking at 600 orders in a one or two day period and just the load speed and the page speed needs to be increased. So making a, a Oh, an app first for the managers where they can also integrate all the software using right now, like off the shelf in terms of time tracking, payroll, and also integrating our actual software all together to have one harmonious unit. What challenges are you finding kind of like you're almost in that marketplace conundrum where you need to kind of serve two different crowds, right? So in a, in a marketplace standpoint, you need the customers to show up and you need the inventory to sell them. In your case, you need the customers to show up, but you also, you're like, so you're building a software for these customers to snap the photos of the stuff people need to pack up and move for them. But then you're also trying to build software for your team to use efficiently and effectively. How is that process like? You get customers that give you feedback, hey, this experience was great, this experience sucked. And then you get the same feedback from your from your employees who are like, I can't find the stuff uh, fast enough or I can't see all the orders coming in. Has that been a challenge at all or fairly smooth sailing so far? Yeah, definitely always been customer first. I think the customer experience has not been sacrificed by any means, but it, it's been the iterations of the business. So like right now, about 80% or sorry, sorry it's about 50-50 I would say at this point because we keep changing of our business is key access schools, kids leave their stuff in their room, they go home. We do big mass move outs in 24, 48 hours. That has more so been 
put on the back burner because we have a little more time and autonomy. We're not dealing directly with the students face-to-face where we can kind of sit back, you know, wait for the website to load or just kind of go on your computer and make that work. But then you have an entirely different way we built it where it's like a by appointment where you meet the customers at the door, they have a pickup time, they're on a live queue, and then there's work lists associated with that. So the by appointment has been perfected. But then now that we continue to evolve and make the business model better, it's like actually having to then make two different work lists, one for like a one day move out and one for like a 10 day move out. And you know, with, with all the things that have obviously happened in the last 12 months, we had to make some other things become priority. But I think, and I don't think this year is exactly what we're doing. We're actually going to make that so they're both working and you can have a work list where you can download that, you can search by, you can filter by dorm and you can filter by floor of the dorm. And then you're just going through and just crushing dorm by dorm as opposed to like looking at specific dates where people are signing up for their move outs. I want to move on to, to talk about the challenges of running the business aside from the software and talk about these logistic things. Part of the advantage, I remember you telling me, and, and I think you mentioned it before in the pre-interview, is that you do go into the room, right? That you get access to the room to grab the stuff and your competition doesn't do that, right? Yeah, so some some of these schools have access to the dorms, but the thing is, is that a lot of them are, are basically more so high-level marketing companies and then they're farming out the actual moving to local moving companies. And with what's going on with COVID and stuff as well, in terms of like having, becoming vaccinated, and that's one big barrier to entry. Like, well, how are you going to trust this outside moving company to walk into your dorms? Well, who can you trust the most? The students on your campus because they've been vaccinated. So that was kind of one way for us to get a backdoor approach to that. And then on top of that too, if you're an 18-year-old girl and your father is sending you to school, does your father really want you to have a 40-year-old man walking into your room, stereotypically, right? And walking into that dorm and picking up your stuff and moving it out when you could have a kid that was in your you know, calculus class. And we definitely do struggle with the kind of balancing that image of peer to peer, but also kind of perfection and a level of quality. Because some people are like, this is awesome. You're my, you're my current classmate, but at the same time, my mom doesn't really know if I can trust you with my stuff. So that, that's another reason kind of behind the branding and trying to make us see more of like the Uber Black premier service. We're not a discount service. We're charging a premium price and our level of service should be reflected in that just because we're using students that doesn't necessarily decrease the quality it's just increasing the personalization yeah and and but the particular challenge getting to was is you have to make these not only do you have to make that i guess sale or relationship to the customer but you also have to make it with the school because it's not like the school's just going to let you do all this stuff without i assume without them knowing who the heck you are and like what's going on they start seeing all these black t-shirts rolling in with the nice <laughs> logos on it like what, what what's happening here i'm sure you have to try to play again like a couple sides of the fence the, the end user customer and then the place that has the inventory which is the school <laughs> and it, in it you have to build up those relationships on both sides yeah uh, the and then the next challenge which popped into my head when we were chatting earlier is just the student, what I'll say is a paid internship, these student body employees, if you will, across the country. How are you managing scaling that? Like, do you have to start having regional managers? Yep. People, once they do graduate school, they become an actual full season employee with you and, and now they're managers of that school. How does that ramp up for you? Yeah. So we call those internships, we call them campus co-founders because we truly believe that they are kind of co-founding in some ways like franchising their campus. And they can either get an inflated hourly upwards of 15 to $20 an hour at a base, or they can essentially get like a percentage of revenue. And then of course, they're going to see that increase the more years that they're actually operating. So when you have, like for example, we had a kid who was a sophomore, 
junior, senior, by the time he was senior year, he made you know $20,000 in a single move out based on that revenue schedule. And then he wanted to continue working full time. So I think you have the people that are naturally interested. But the challenge with that, of course, is when we were kind of under a million dollars in sales like a couple of years ago, it was, all right, well, we want to bring these people on. But the beauty of this business is it's seasonal. And as a full-time student, it was possible. But like now that we're graduating, we're no longer in school, we have all this extra time. And like to you, what you alluded to, we're spending a lot more of that time actually selling universities and kind of university sales as opposed to just building up this marketing and then trying to do the move out and then do the move in and kind of just taking a rest because we actually have school to do. <laughs> it's, it's finding a job to do the rest of the year. So a, as we've been able to grow, I think the beauty of this is that the more people that have actually wanted to work full-time, we've been able to give them full-time opportunities. So we hired a kid from Elon. We hired a kid actually just from College of Charleston a couple of weeks ago. We came on full-time. And then we have two more in the pipeline, one from Richmond and one from Washington and Lee University that are currently seniors and they're, if expressed interest and, and working post-graduation, I think for the first time, I'm really excited that we actually will be able to give them full-time opportunities as just like you said, as regional managers mm-hmm. um, and one re- managing their region physically, but then also helping to then manage remotely, you know, another five or 10 other schools under their domain. Do you look at certain areas? So I'm south of Boston. There's a billion yeah. schools here. Right? Yeah. Like do, you, do you look at areas that you want to go into that maybe you haven't found any organic interest from? Is that a thing? Or is it like, hey, I'm just like this natural growth just works and it's way easier to manage? Or do you look at territories that you want to get into and, and how does that work? 100%. So I went to school in North Carolina. So natural expansion was Virginia, South Carolina. Saw a competitor that had a school in Texas at SMU. So that's why we went down to Texas, Rice and SMU this past year. I just moved down to Texas to expand that region, Texas and Florida. But I'm from New York. My business partner's from Boston too. So we definitely have our sites set on the Northeast. There's just actually a little more competition up there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, being a fast follower is definitely a lot easier than trying to educate not only the school, but the customer on what a valet storage service is. So I'd rather just go in where they've had a previous service provider that's just bad, and then we can just go in and, and take over. But where we've found kind of those pockets is actually we started going to housing conferences. So conferences that have the residence life, the operations, people. And that's actually where we met this one person from Pennsylvania, where by no means were we meaning to expand there. But we developed a great report. She loved what she heard. And she was like, yeah, I'd love to sign an exclusive contract with y'all. That'll happen in the last couple of weeks. But now it's like, oh, well, no, that puts some eyes on Pennsylvania. Maybe we need to expand there a little quicker. And Pennsylvania's got probably 20 schools that we could expand to. And once you have that kind of density, there's no reason not to. Yeah. I'd imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, like I, I would imagine when you go into expand into a new territory, your biggest or potentially your biggest spend is going to be marketing and, and advertising just to get the, the word out there. It's not like you're having to ship a bunch of product uh, or these amazing boxes that we're going to talk about <laughs> in a second. But is there any kind of like thing you have to ship in and and store your own storage stuff, something really meta. Like, is there a thing you have to ship out yeah. there, a box of stuff, and and people just have to rock and roll with it? Yeah. So, yeah, well, I'll ship a box or two of our storage collars boxes to the co-founders, tell them to go out and buy a table, give them their corporate credit card to go do that. And that's going to have shirts, cups, stickers, banners, phone backs, kind of that, that kind of marketing material. But the beauty, too, is that on any first-year campus, whether we're talking about marketing materials or whether we're talking about like storing kids' actual things, 
is that there's a really nice thing called self-storage that's usually five minutes from campus. So when we're not necessarily sure about a market, the numbers can look great, but it doesn't necessarily mean people are going to use the service. So we'll use self-storage almost exclusively for the first year. And then once you have that market proven, then you're going to go out and you're going to find an industrial warehouse lease. But that being said, that's also another challenge of the business because we might need 10, 15,000 square feet from the four months of May to August. But then all these kids move back in. You might have a couple of students that store longer. You might have some marketing materials, some extra boxes, but that's going to come down to a maximum thousand square feet, right? So then you're kind of downsizing either to self-storage or you're coming up with a really creative lease with the landlord. But that's uh, that's definitely a, a tough aspect of the business too, is finding that space. Oh, when you raise a billion dollars, I hope it's not one of those WeWork stories where you set out to be a co-working space, but you ended up being a, a real estate company. And then like, why the hell do you own all this property? And you're like, oh, we're really a moving company. And then the term sheets are all uh, imbalanced. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about marketing for a second. Yeah. Um, towards the end of the show, uh, great marketing. I think I know the answer, but why did you focus on it? How did you focus? How did you know that that marketing is really going to work for something like this or branding and your logo and stuff is really going to work for something like this in a competitive market? Yeah. The way the business was started is I printed out some flyers that I'd probably throw up out if I looked at it today. I mean, they're pretty embarrassing, but I went door to door and saw all my freshman hallmates and freshman classmates and they would like, knock on the door and they said, come in. I'm like, no, that's... I would knock on the door again, like, come in. I'm like, no, I'm not who you think I am, but sure, I'll come in. So I, I definitely had some tough conversations at the beginning and got some raw feedback on, on what was what they were looking for and what they weren't looking for. But I think initially too, in terms of like a branding aspect, after kind of doing that customer discovery was I, the best advice that I got from one of my entrepreneurship professors is there was a competitor on campus and I was like, oh, they're charging $14 a box. I'm going to charge $13.50. Like, no, he's like, do not be the discount service. Like always charge more and, but provide more too, right? So I, from, I wouldn't say day one, but from day two, um, it's like, okay, yes, we need to be out there, be the premium service um, and service the top level customer and give them the service that they, that they desire. And the whole black and white was really trying to be the premium, futuristic, uber black type experience, luxury experience as opposed to being, I don't know, like a green eco-friendly moving company. We are absolutely eco-friendly. I don't mean to say it like that, but I think sometimes there's there's definitely certain colors that elicit certain emotions, and I, I want it to be more of a sleek, elite luxury brand. Yeah. The do do when do every time you're moving students, do they do you always rocking the the branded boxes, or is it like one branded box on top and the rest of them are brown? <laughs> no, absolutely. So not only does that give you the brand awareness, but actually, so we used to use obviously brown boxes, right? And we would buy these stickers, and they would put the sticker on top of the box. They'd also put the sticker on their out of box item, their TV, their refrigerator, whatever. But in terms of like an inventory perspective, if you imagine you have a box and then you stack another box on top of it, and you have a sticker on the top, well, you, you can't see it. Right. So I, those boxes were also designed because you have, they're writing their name, their order number, their item number on the top of the box. They're also writing it massively on the side of the box. So actually in the storage facilities, they're lined up and you can see all their names very, very clearly. So from just like an identification standpoint, that was the purpose of it. And then of course, yeah, when you walk around with black storage color shirts, white shirts, white shorts, and these big black boxes, and then you see them in the, in the dumpsters for two weeks after and the recycling bins after everyone leaves and comes back, it's like, it's great branding. Yeah, yeah. They people wonder what the heck's going on. I want that. <laughs> you know, like that yeah. looks cool. That looks yeah. easy. Speaking of looks easy, I'm uh, looking at the 
archive, uh, webarchive.org site, and I'm looking back to August uh, 2018. Your tagline for the site back then was easy, effortless, and economical. Live the scholar. <laughs> How did you change that from a marketing perspective? You started talking to customers, you chatted with them. They were like, no, we'll pay you a little bit more money. And you got rid of the word economical. How did that all play out, changing that headline? Yeah, I thought alliteration was more powerful than value at the time. So that's yeah. probably why I went with that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, like I said, I, I wanted to beat out the competition because also at the same time, I didn't I, I wasn't confident. Like I knew I was confident in myself, but I never, I didn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So to say, hey, we're the best service, we're better than the competition. I never even moved a box before. It's like that was kind of tough. So that that was year one. And then once we service 64 students at Wake Forest University, I was like, all right, well, this went well. We made it happen. I touched every single box. I know exactly how this works. I shook probably half the kids' hands and the parents' hands that use this service. All right, now I'm confident we can go out there and start to you know, spread what we're doing and do it in a, in a much better way and, and be able to charge that premium price tag. Sam, this doesn't sound like it's your first rodeo. Who do you have? Have you ran a business before? Somebody, your dad, your parents, uh, great mentors, <laughs> you're just born with it. What is it? How did you get here? So my parents are both a public high school teachers in New York. Um, the youngest of three. Uh, my brother's a web developer. My sister's and uh, in fashion. So I, I didn't necessarily get it from them fully, but definitely the Fiscal responsibility absolutely came from my parents, actually my grandfather mostly. And from at a young age, I think kind of the quintessential story would be, maybe two of them, was that at five, I was like, hey, mom, dad, like I want to have a lemonade stand. They said, great. Okay. So you're going to go out, you're going to buy the paper, the markers, the plastic cups, and the lemonade powder. And we'll lend you the money in the beginning, but you got to pay us that back. And to like be $18 in debt at five years old, it's like, shit, like I got to make this happen, right? So I'm standing out in the street and I'm flagging people down. And and from that point on, even at, you know, age nine, my, I'm like, oh, mom, like Frankie wants an Xbox for Christmas. Oh, okay, well, how are you going to get that for him, right? Well, it's like I wasn't poor, but it's just kind of giving the fiscal responsibility at such a young age is what kind of drove me to to start to develop these skills very early on and start flipping ATVs, cars and stuff like that in high school and selling candy out of my locker and, and middle school. I was always kind of hustling. Are you have you raised money? I, I don't think we had, we talked about this in the pre interview. Raising money, organic, bootstrapped, I should say, or do you plan on raising money? What do the cards hold for you? Yeah, currently exclusively bootstrapped. Like I said, too, aside from, aside from a little PPP, but it, it, the the business model was structured such as, and the reason why I started this business was, hey, I need to make money like today. I need to pay for my school today. So how can I do that? And so kids would pay a fifty dollar deposit, which they still do now, and that for me covered the initial cost of the boxes, the tape, the storage units, the trucks, and that's what's been able to catapult us thus far. I don't think we could grow to. 150 schools next year at, without raising money, but that's not really the purpose or really the path right now. Like I said, building deep in-depth relationships with the universities and the life cycle of a, of a university sales cycle is, is pretty, it's pretty long. Um, it's more of a relationship-driven business. So trying to figure that out along the way. And at this point, we're, we've been able to bootstrap it and keep it going that way. Sam Chasen, Storage Scholars, storagescholars.com. Sam, anywhere else <laughs> you want folks to go to say thanks? Yeah, definitely follow us on socials, on, on Instagram, on Facebook, LinkedIn. We are uh, definitely trying to be a young company. So give us some broad feedback. If, if you're in that age demographic, 18 to 21, let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. Love to hear from you.